Hey guys, uh, welcome back to my channel for another episode of Porn Star Confessions. And today I have got the daddiest of all daddies, the one person you guys want to see more than anyone else, Will Angel. So thank you for coming, Will. Oh, you know, anytime you invite me, you know, I'll be there. Yeah, no. Uh, Will and I go back quite a ways. I think I've shot with you guys like, God, what, six times now or something? It's yeah been a lot um so i'm sure everyone wants to know how did you get started because now you're like you're a household name you are literally like the daddy i don't think anyone's rivaling you for that but it wasn't always that way so well no you're right uh it it's kind of a it's kind of a long long story ish of we kind of got started accidentally you know, we started filming in 2013, 10 years ago, and there was no OnlyFans yet. There was no Just For Fans yet. Uh, so we really had to just do our own site, which in the long run has benefited us uh, because we're not really restricted by OnlyFans rules and, you know, Just For Fan rules. Uh, I don't, not that we're doing anything that's so out there that I think it would be a problem, but you know, they can be a little finicky. So, uh, at the time, Liam and I had another partner and, uh, he had just retired. And when I said to him, you know, what do you want to do now? Uh, he said, I want to make porn. I was like, you're kidding. Uh, he was like, no. Uh, he said he he used to back in the day, like the AOL Men for Men days. He used to have used to hire porn actors and film them, and and he had a website, and you know, it was like a little home business and more more as a hobby. But uh, he had a partner that didn't want him doing it, so he quit. And I said, I don't, I don't care. If that's what you want to do, you know, do it. So I had no, uh, I had no expectation of participating in any way. And I didn't think Liam would be interested in participating either. But uh, before uh, I met Liam, I had a partner pass away very unexpectedly. And I went from, you know, we had just bought a house within the year and I went from a two income family to being on my own. And the idea that, uh, that I would ever visit that on Liam, that he would ever be in that position, uh, really bothered me. And we had a couple friends that live in San Francisco and you talk about the daddiest of daddies, uh, the guy, one of them was a porn actor named Mac. Uh, Mac San Francisco. And he was on like one of the first covers of Bear Magazine or Drummer Magazine. Like he was, he was a daddy. Uh, and he and his partner, his partner was saying that, you know, he still owned the rights to like 15 of the films that he made. And, you know, now 15 years, 20 years later, uh, they still have them on some website and whatever sells, they get half of it. And he was like, so we get a check for like $500 a month or something. And I was like, that's how high my sights were set. Like, oh, $500 a month. Oh, shit, I'll take that. But it made me start thinking that it's like, if I'm worried about my partner's 
financial future should anything happen to me. Here's a product that can go on selling really indefinitely, you know? And I started seeing it as a security blanket. And I, and truly, I thought, oh, you know, just an extra $5,000, you know, $6,000 a year, uh, whatever, uh, that'll help. Uh, and, you know, at the time where we lived in North Carolina was so inexpensive to live in, my mortgage was only like six fifty a month, you know? Isn't that crazy? It was a three bedroom, three bathroom house on an acre of land. And it was like $650 a month. It's cheaper than rent. So I was like, well, shit, that'll almost pay the mortgage. You know, I won't have to worry about what happens to him because it was a struggle for me. You know, when John died, it was like, how the, what the fuck am I going to, you know, thank God he had life insurance. Uh, you know, what would I do? So I started seeing it as this, <laughs> my retirement plan. And, uh, so one night we were out at dinner and Liam looks over at me and says, I want to make porn too. And I was like, you're shitting me, right? So everybody seemed to be on board. I was, you know, the puritanical New Englander that was just like, oh, I'll never do that. And uh, I just, uh, in the early days when we started, we couldn't afford to hire people. So it was just, you know, this little cottage industry, you know, we had to film it ourselves. And that's kind of how I got roped into it. But, you know, what ended up happening was, you know, $500 a month turned into $1,000 a month. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, we may have something here, you know. And, you know, now 10 years later, it's our only business. Uh, neither of us work other jobs. So uh, it, I did not anticipate that. And it seemed to me as one of those things that once you've rung the bell and, and exposed yourself that way, well, shit, there's, there's no takesy-backsy now. You know, once once everybody's seen your asshole close up, uh, it's hard to, like, erase that, you know? Yeah. So so I figured you might as well. And, and, and after a while, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, why don't you, if you really if you really take this seriously and if you really dedicate yourself to this, see what you can turn it into, you know, uh, you know, do it a hundred percent, you know, make it a business and treat it like a business and respect it like a business. And, you know, anybody wanting to get into this, whether it's just for fans or only fans or whatever platform they use, it's a slow build. You know, you, you survive one subscriber at a time. Uh, this is not a business you should be impatient in. And it's not a business you should ever look at what anybody else is doing, thinking they're doing better than you and why does everybody like them better than me? Uh, you can't do that. You have to look at your own success and build on that and try to keep every subscriber, you know, make the best material you can. And it's a lot easier to retain a subscriber than it is to find a new one. So try, just try to keep the ones you have happy. Uh, and, you know, over time, little just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. You know, 10 years it took us to, to, to be able to just focus on just this as our business. So, I mean, yeah, but, but I, it was all accidental to me. I was not, a, I was not like, it was not on my bucket list, you know? <laughs> no, I get it. And that's always one thing, like, 
it's one of the many things that I admire about you, but I've always loved like your long-term thinking, your, your business sense. I mean, there's literally not a single person in this industry that I look up to more than you. I and appreciate that. It's, it's funny. Cause like when I first got into this, like Jesse Dubai had offered to hire me to be in a video with her. And frankly, I just wanted to have sex with her, but right. I, remember, <laughs> I had that same thought process as you because like we were going through it and shooting a scene and like the entrepreneurial side of my brain started turning and i was like you know very much in the way that you know because it's like you know escorting a personal training or whatever if you're not working you're not making anything and i was Maybe. like oh if i do this i would make money while i'm sleeping while i'm on vacation yeah and i was like you know what how about you teach me how to do what you do and just don't pay uh, me right yeah <laughs> like, exactly Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, uh, you know, we have a daily average uh, uh, that, that we do in sales. So just sitting here in the time I'm doing this, I'm working right now. I'm selling subscriptions right now. You know, it's a it's a never ending thing. You know, uh, fortunately, I don't I it must be, you know, they just like theirs. But uh, a large portion of our sales are to China and Korea and Japan uh, Mexico, you know, places where they don't have big hairy men, uh, seem to really, seem to really like us. So, you know, uh, I did not anticipate that, but yeah, you're, you're always working. You know, if you're taking a client, you know, that's a one-off, that's it. You, you, you're putting your time and you're getting paid for your time, but you got to find a way to, to work 24 seven, you know? Exactly. And who knew? I think one, and I actually got several questions um, for you about this. I think the one thing, and tons of people agree with this, the one thing that really, really sets you apart from everyone else in the entire industry is you're like the, you could give a master class on dirty talk. You are <laughs> like, you are like the master of dirty talk. So how did, how did that happen? You know, I don't know where that came from, honestly. Uh, I was never big into porn, but there used to be a porn actor, must be in the 80s when I was younger. That, in, that uh, His name was John Vincent, and he had the filthiest mouth. And I was so attracted to it, you know. He was just just hearing a man talk about himself, like, you know, admiring his own dick and stuff like that. I found really attractive. And I, I guess part of this for me has been purely out of ignorance. Um, a lot of porn actors will tell you, don't allow your porn persona be, to be too real, like to be too much yourself because uh, it's a double-edged sword. You, you'll get admirers and you will get nice compliments. But for some reason, people that are not into you, instead of just swiping to the next one, feel the need to tell you about it, you know? And when you're, when you're really putting your heart out there, when you're really being yourself, that shit hurts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get what motivates people to do that. I mean, I literally got a four-page handwritten letter, like handwritten letter on note paper in my mailbox, how the fuck did that happen? I don't know. Telling me how I am just not a muscle bear par excellence. And what? I knew, 
I was like, what are you, 90? Who the fuck even says that? Uh, but yeah, like I don't get why people feel the need. So so in a, in a measure of self-protection, porn actors will tell you, don't let it be too much you because the insults won't hurt as much if it's a character that you've uh, you created. But personally, I think that's bad advice. I think if you want to, I had this conversation with a friend of mine uh, who was just getting into porn that we worked with uh, and he became very popular uh, and he was telling me how the advice he had gotten was the same. Don't be too much yourself. And I said, you know, everything has to have a kernel of truth. At least you have, people can sense that bullshit when you're not being yourself. And uh, if you want people to invest in you, and I said, it's not just porn. You look at, you look at other gay culture. Uh, you look at uh, other competition shows. You look RuPaul's Drag Race or something like that. It's always the person that bears their soul. It's always the person that like dredges up some something real that are the fan favorites. You know that people you know connect to because there's something familiar to them. So in the beginning, I was just ignorant and didn't know better than to protect myself because I had no idea what was coming. So, uh, but. In the long run, I think being authentic and truly being yourself is what, at the end of the day, people connect to. You know, people can see guys fucking all the time. Every, you know, yeah. Jesus. I mean, you know, Pornhub is the, the most visited site on earth. Uh, but that you have to scroll through a lot before you get something that you feel like, wow, this is authentic. And we've always wanted our business to be a show of real male intimacy, you know, uh, well-adjusted gay men with no body shame, with no gay sex shame, you know, uh, that's what I think people need to see. That's what I wish I had seen when I was young. I, you know, whether it's porn or TV or movies or whatever, you know, we recognize our influences wherever we find them. And when people see a little something of themselves, you know, uh, I may have come down a long path of self-acceptance, which I hope shows in my work. Uh, but don't, people shouldn't assume that I always had that. You know, I, uh, in the nineties, I lived on South beach in Miami. And I have to tell you, big hairy bears were not the in thing there. And a lot of people made sure I knew it. And, you know, a hairy back it was not hot to these people. You know, I tell this story all the time. I had, I had a partner who was a model. He was the TQ Hot Tequila Man. And he was a Marlboro man. And he was just stunningly beautiful. And... uh we lived, uh, we lived in South Beach and we were at Warsaw, this bar, and we had gone to the bathroom and I was in the stall and he was uh, at the sink. And uh, these two guys came in and I could hear them and I knew who they were, these two Cuban guys who were just fucking stuck and just perfect chiseled body. You know, just, you just wanted to stab them in the neck. You know, they were just fucking perfect. And... I could hear the conversation they were telling Jason, uh, 
oh, there's an after hours party, but it's very exclusive and it's only by invitation. And it's, you know, uh, it's going to be the hottest guys on South Beach and you have to have this card to get in. And they gave him a card. So I came out of the stall and I come over and Jason's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is my partner, you know, and these two guys like literally like look me up and down and they snatched the card back out of his hand, <laughs> you know, and I have to say it was a little bit humiliating, but Jason, as beautiful as he was, was just treated me like I was the most beautiful man on earth, you know, and it didn't really matter to me uh, that I wasn't invited to such a thing. But, you know, I, because I know what it's like for people to look in the mirror and think, I need to change this. I need to change that. You know, uh, everyone struggles with that, you know, and I feel like finally I've gotten to a point in my life and porn really is the thing that taught me this was I don't have to be everybody's cup of tea. I don't have to turn everybody on, you know, because the people that I turn on, they're, they're into guys like me. And that's enough. I don't need all of them. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't need every single person thinking, wow, you're awesome. Uh, and it, it, it would be too much of a burden. You know, if people really thought about it, you know, you're, you're knocking yourself, putting yourself down, thinking you're not good enough for some imaginary person that doesn't even exist, whose standards you'll never meet because they don't exist. They're not even, a, they're not even real. You know, it's just this image in your head. And that's so poisonous, you know? And I know what you make. Uh, and it's similar to what we do, that it's like, it's more important for me to work with people that feel good about themselves, you know? that have gotten over that hump because, you know, you're not going to grow up gay in this country and not feel like you're a freak somehow, you know? Uh, and, and I like working with people like that. I like working with people that have been through that road and come out the other side, you know, and, and, and I know you do too, that, you know, you're very body positive and, and everyone should be, you know, that male intimacy, uh, I feel like the, you know, it's funny, the gay porn industry, which is owned by straight Canadians, uh, oddly, I feel like they sold us a bill of goods, you know, told us and, and presented to us the image that we were supposed to want of these beautiful, perfect looking men. And I don't, I, I, I know for a fact, that's not true. I know it's not true because of my experience doing this, you know, uh, I get, you know, <laughs> there have been times when I've been more adamant about my diet and my workout plan and I start losing weight and getting a little trim and I get nothing but complaints. What are you doing, daddy? Where's your belly? You know what I mean? And, and a couple of years ago, I gained so much weight, just like a perfect storm, you know? uh, whatever, you, you know, we went on vacation, this and that. And then I came back and I was trying to put my work pants on and I thought I had accidentally picked Liam's cause we worked together. We had the same uniform and I was like, Oh, these must be 
Liam's pants and I look at the tag and I'm like, oh, fuck, they're mine. I couldn't even get them up. I gained so much weight and I got nothing but praise. I got, n- and, and, you know, I was like, well, shit, you know, you, you got to work. You got to put material out. You got to schedule. You better make this work. So, you know, I'm down in the basement like, yeah, you like that belly. I actually remember, I think this was like not long after you came out here. And I remember yeah. seeing that video on your Twitter and you're like, yeah, look at my belly. And they fucking love that belly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when I get guys come to me and they say, oh, I'd love to film with you, but I got to lose 20 pounds first. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> Trust me, you don't. <laughs> You know, and if people, because they haven't had the experience I've had, they haven't had that kind of feedback. Guys like natural bodies. Guys like natural looking men. Guys are into like the the dad down the street mowing the lawn. You know, they're into this fantasy of what a real man looks like. You know, honestly, these, these trim, perfect, worked out, you know, we would like to work out. We like to be big. I won't say we don't. But... You know, a lot of that shit is very high maintenance. A lot of those people, you know, you know, like like the story I told you about Jason, he was gorgeous. He was beautiful. But I was forever talking him off the ledge. You know, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, you got an eight pack. Shut the fuck up. You know, like just nonsense in his head. Like it was never good enough. And and I don't know, man, once I kind of got over that and didn't give a fuck what people in South Beach thought anymore. Uh, well, I moved to Fort Lauderdale, and they and they like bears there, so that helped. Uh, but once I got over that, it was like everything changed, you know. And I think I think the films that I made changed, the people I worked with changed. But uh, so you know, I know I know you have that kind of mentality. Yeah, you present people uh, the way they are, and, and and treat them all like they're beautiful because they are. Yeah, no, and and that's one thing that, like, you and I are absolutely in agreement on, and, you know, it's one thing I talk about all the time on this YouTube channel is I'm like, no matter what your body looks like, you will never appeal to everyone. It's not going to happen. Like, there's plenty of people who don't find me attractive, and that's totally okay. And I think for me, how I got to that point was just, I don't know, I think a lot of it was just age. Yeah, that, it wears you down. You know what I mean? You just get tired of beating yourself up. It's like, it's too I'm too old to just care. And fucking disgusting. There literally is a lid for every pot. I don't care. I don't care. You know, you could be a 450-pound adult baby in a diaper sucking on a passy, and there's some guy jerking off to that. You know, there is a guy for you, I'm telling you. You know, I don't care how weird you think. Uh, I don't care how weird you think your fetish is or whatever. There's somebody getting off to it, you know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So I hope OnlyFans and Just for Fans and people like taking control of their own image and making their own films. Uh, and you see, and, and you know, and the fucked up part is like the most popular, most successful uh, accounts on OnlyFans and such are not even sex. They're not even sexual. A lot of them are, are maybe it's a dominatrix, just walking you through a fantasy, telling you what she would do to you. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, sex is a lot, so much more than just insertion. You know, it's a mind fuck. 
you know, and I think that's where my dirty mouth comes from because I have a dirty mind. I'm really, really turned on when people tell me like what the deep down fantasy is like, you know, and I want to know where did it come from? Like, what was the image? What was the memory when you were 12 or 13? And, and, you know, I mean, and it's so esoteric, you know, like, you know, guys that are into shoes, like women's shoes or, you know, sports gear or whatever. It was like, what was the thing you saw that flipped that switch in your head, you know? And I want to know what's the fantasy you can't tell anybody, you know? I'm a safe place. You can tell me and I am totally sane and I will work it out with you and this will be your opportunity to just have at it, you know? But tell me the truth. Tell me... Tell me what really gets your motor running, you know? And if it's that personal or something, we don't have to film it, <laughs> you know? I mean, only if you want to. <laughs> but I, I really get off on that. I really get off on people revealing, you know, telling me secrets, uh, you know, dirty, dirty secrets. <laughs> no, I get that. I've That's one thing that's always fascinated me is, like, because some things, like, okay, you can work through, like, where it came from. Right. But then other things, I'm just like, I have no freaking clue. Yeah. Like, I don't... Yeah. Wiring. But, like, the the sexual shame, though, that's something that that just really breaks my heart that I'm super passionate about. Because in my experience, I would say 90% of the time, someone's super, super ashamed of something. But they're like, oh, well, I'm into this thing. And you have to, like, drag it out of them. And then when they tell you, you're just sitting there like, dude, do you have no any idea how common that is? Like, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And even, and even, uh, so uh, someone I worked with who I would consider probably the most well-known, accomplished person in this genre of fetish told me. I've always felt like a freak and I was just like, this thing is a gift. You know what I mean? And I, and I get it. Some people are totally grossed out by, you know, your fetish, but you know, for the people that, that like it, you know, you're not a freak at all. You're like, you know, this is amazing. (laughs) This is really beautiful, you know? And you know, when you see somebody, especially somebody who is known for something, you would think they own this space. They own this fetish. They own this genre. And to hear them say they have any reservation, but it's like, how is that possible? How is that possible that that everybody on earth knows you as this, you know? And, and you would think that there's, I mean, I'm sure people call you out all the time that aren't into it, that find it disgusting, but, you know... I'm just like, it it just like, I'm hearing words come out of a person's mouth that I think this cannot be you. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm not even into your fetish and I know who you are. You know what I mean? Like, how can you be famous for something and feel any sense of shame about it at all? Uh, It's just, you know, it's just so, shame is just the fucking poison. It's just so debilitating and it's so common, uh, especially in gay men. Uh, but you know, 
I mean, we do our part, you know, we do our little part to, to fight back against body shame or gay shame or anything like that. We try to show it in our work. You do, we do. Yeah. And uh, um, I think that's one of the reasons why people have gravitated to us. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of my favorite quotes, I think you'll like it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I think it was Steve Jobs who said it is the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who actually do. Yeah. Well, we do our part. You know, I hope so. I hope so. It's been a journey for me. So I am very sensitive to it when I see it in other people. Uh, and even some people that I've worked with kind of get fetish shamed for what they're into. And it's just like, man, nobody has the right to do that to you. You know, everybody can say, you know what? That's not my thing. Yeah. You know, that, that's not my kink. Uh, and that's fine. But leave it at that. Exactly. You know, there's no, there's no reason to call people names and or whatever. I don't care what they're into. And there's, believe it or not, there's plenty I'm not into. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't come across it very often. But I think because I'm turned on by what turns men on. Yeah. I'm turned on by them sharing that. I'm turned on by seeing their motor get going, you know, they're starting to get revved up and, you know, that's what I get off on. And what I'm really doing to them is kind of irrelevant. You know, I just like to feel like, uh, yeah, you can, you can trust me, you know, you can be safe telling me the truth and, uh, and I'll do my best to provide it. Uh, so I guess in a way that is my fetish is kind of, other men's fetishes. I like, I do. I like hearing the stories about them. I like, I like the secrets. Yeah, no, <laughs> you and I are very similar in that way. Cause I really feed off of like my partner's like pupil dilation, their yeah. brain freezing, the way their body moves. Like if I were ever having sex with someone and they're just in there like, uh, I yeah. lose interest instantly. I'd be like, okay, hell no, I'm done. Like, Liam's the same way. If a person closes their eyes, he's done. If he can't see their eyes, if they won't look in his eyes, he's not interested. You know? Yeah. Uh, How long have you guys to... been together for right now? Uh, 14 years. Wow. Yep. 14 years. I met him six months after John died. Thank God. Because I truly, truly was a danger to myself. I was so deep, I was so deep in despair uh, and, and, and just had absolutely no desire to live anymore. And I met him six months later and, uh, and he, I, I needed supervision. Uh, and I got to tell you, I knew he was the one for me because one day he said to me, uh, don't ever forget about John. I have enough room in my heart to love both of you. And that, and when somebody's lost a partner, wow. uh, to meet somebody that is supportive of that, of their memory. And my, one of my biggest, one of my biggest dis disappointments in life was that John never got to meet him. You know, he would have loved John. They would have been thick as thieves. I know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not big into spirituality or religion or anything too much, but it's hard not to believe sometimes that John didn't send him to me because I needed it. And when I met him, he moved in and two weeks later, I had really, I was so, just so debilitated. I uh, was sick 
And I knew I was getting sick because like I would ride the, walk on the treadmill or something. And I, I like couldn't do 15 minutes. Like I, I kept losing my breath and it was just like, everything was a struggle. And I thought I just had a flu or a cold or something, which maybe I did, but I just kind of took to my bed and, and just languished there. And I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And he insisted that I go to the doctor and, uh, I was just like, no, no, I'm getting better. I'll be fine. So he finally one day drags me to the doctor, my doctor's office, and my oxygen saturation was 60%. And I literally, my fingertips were blue. I that's was like loose. brain damage. You should be. Yeah, well, maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing. <laughs> maybe that's what happened. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was in such bad shape. The hospital was directly across the street from my doctor's office and they would not let me go. They wouldn't let me cross the street. They made me go by ambulance. Uh, and I spent 17 days in intensive care. I had pneumonia and I literally was dying. And I had only, he had only lived with me for two weeks and he, he was in the hospital every day, giving the doctors hell, uh, his sisters came and visited me. I mean, it was just like, if I didn't, I came out of there so in love with him. I was a month, 17 days in intensive care and a month in the hospital. And he saved my life. I mean, there's just, there's just no way around it. Uh, and you know, he, when he invests, he invests. And I think, you know, you know, somebody for two weeks and they're acting like this and they're letting those off. You think, you know what? I'm going to go home, <laughs> but he didn't. And, uh, and he has earned my loyalty. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people so would sometimes think like, well, geez, uh, your partner had only died six months ago. That's awfully fast to get into another relationship, you know, but there's, you know, there's very little study done on grief in men in particular. Uh, but one thing they, they, they're fairly sure of is a man who viewed his relationship as happy and successful will get into another relationship sooner. Like if a man was not happy in his relationship, his partner dies, he'll stay single for a longer time. So the six months is actually a testament to how much I love John, that I, I didn't want to be alone. I felt happier. I do, I feel happier in a relationship. Uh, and, and honestly, thank God he came along because I would have died in that bed. I was not, I was not, I did not agree to go to the doctor. He forced me to, you know, he made me go. So, you know, uh, it, it's one thing to have this image of being a powerful man, a strong man, but we can't forget that no matter how together a man has, especially gay men, uh, they've gone through some shit. They have to, you have to. Uh, my attitude totally changed after John died. I, I did not, I no longer looked as, at people as disposable. You know, I made connections and, and even getting into a relationship. Uh, it's one thing for people to say, oh, we'll be together forever. But I learned the confidence that I could be loyal and faithful and, and to a person until the end because I've, I've done it. You know, 
And, uh, you know, I used to, I did think like, oh, John and I will be together forever. And in a way we were, it was just his forever, you know, and it's the most I could hope for, for anybody that when they take their last breath, they are loved completely right up until the end of their life, that they're not alone. Uh, he was only 41. So it's a shame and a loss, but I am comforted by the fact that he did not know a day of, of hurt and loneliness of not being loved. And that's what I hope for anybody I care about. That's what I hope for myself. So, yeah, uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I lost the love of my life too. I think you know that, but the part that you said that really resonated at least with me is when Liam said that he had enough room oh, yeah. for both of you, because I can say from personal experience, when you've lost someone like that, it can, a lot of other people will perceive it as a threat. Like, oh, you yeah. never how do you, love me. How do, you, how, do you, how do you compete with a dead guy? Exactly. You know, dead guys are perfect. You know, you remember the best parts of them. You don't, re you know, and, and John was super mellow and laid back. We didn't argue about anything. And that was, that was such a gift. Uh, after he died, I really made a conscious effort to be more like him. Uh, the week, the week he had died, the week he died, we had gone and bought new furniture, a couple pieces of furniture. And we had, we didn't argue about it, but I wanted, I wanted this chair in black and he wanted it in brown. And I was like, honey, the whole room is brown. It, you know, it's just a sea of brown. Let's get the black. I already know black. this is going, but. And he was like, he was like, you know, we went back and forth and back. He's like, I want the brown one. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And we had kind of decided in our relationship that when there was a stalemate, he would be the tiebreaker. And what a gift. Because we never wasted time arguing about minutiae. And you think like, well, gee, you don't seem like the type that would give another person that kind of control. But the truth is the burden was on him. Because when you are liable for the decisions, you're also responsible for the outcomes and the consequences. And the truth is, when you allow another person who loves you to decide things for you, a lot of times they will decide what is best, you know, and if you do it yourself, you might decide what's easier. And, you know, he always had my best interest. So he, we got to a point where he said, we're getting the brown one and that's that. And I, because I say so. And I said, okay, and let it go. And, <laughs> uh, it was the day after the furniture was delivered that he died. And I remember sitting in that brown chair thinking, thank God we didn't waste any time arguing about this stupid chair because right now it doesn't fucking matter, you know? And what a gift he gave me. And I've tried to be more like that. Liam and I don't argue about things, uh, but it, it, as hard as it is sometimes to say, okay, you know what? You're the tiebreaker. You get to make the, you get to make the decision, but it's really a very loving thing to do to show somebody that kind of trust. I know I trust you that you will, you will make best decisions for me. 
that you, you will consider my feelings, you will consider my needs, you know, and you will make a decision that you would make for a person you love. And, uh, and I've tried to be more like that. And I think that, I think sometimes that shows in my films that I, I'm a bit of a caretaker. Uh, I like to be supportive of other people. Uh, I like to, I, I, I hope it's a good experience for people that they leave feeling recognized and seen and cared about. Uh, it gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, a friend of mine, when we moved here, had to kind of have a come to Jesus talk with me because I was really putting myself out. I was, I felt like I'm kind of living this fantasy. I've always, you know, I grew up in a big family and I've always wanted a big family. And, you know, as a gay man thought like, well, that's just not in the cards for you, you know? Uh, and here we moved to California. We buy this big house and uh, I just wanted to fill it with family. You know, I just wanted to fulfill this fantasy I had. And, uh, so my friend said, you know, I, and, and I, I misplaced some trust and, and, and gave too much to some people that were more than happy to take. But he said, you know, he said, you know, and, and you know, Liam and I were just simple country mice. We uh, uh, were very simple people. And he said, you know, he said, I understand what you're trying to do. You, you bought a, a house and you just want to fill it with love and family. And you're working with people from LA. And so, and he's like, they just don't get that. And when you talk like that, they're very suspicious. You know what I mean? But, you know, for 15 years living in the country, that's just how people were. You could count on them. You could depend on them. Uh, they were kind. And, uh, and it's not that people aren't here, but it's, People are much more self-motivated here. Yes. You know, they're looking out for themselves. And here's this big, dumb, gushy guy, like, you know, we're all going to be a big family. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and it got me into some trouble. Uh, and I got my feelings hurt a few times. And he was like, you just have to stop that. Yeah. And so now when, when it comes to work, work is work. He said, you're the boss. Don't forget that. These people are working for you. You call the shots. You cut the checks. They're on your schedule, you know, this loosey goosey thing you do that, oh, well, you know, we'll just get around to it and everything will be okay. And I, and I have, I've, I've gotten, you know, and I feel like it makes me more professional. I appear more professional, you know, when, when, when somebody's uh, scheduled to work with us, uh, I have a schedule, you know, a timeline, this is what we're doing. Everybody's on the same page. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm less, giving, but I am definitely paying attention more to what I'm getting back, you know? So, and, and it's okay if people don't have something to give, it's not me. I, my mantra has become, and I tell people, you know, friends when that are having trouble, it's not you. It's never you. Uh, when you uh, when you message somebody and they don't respond to you, when you uh, have an expectation of somebody and they fall short, it's never you. They have a life. They have shit going on. You know, I'll get a message at three o'clock in the morning. 
you know, hey, you're sexy. And then two minutes later, it's like, would you like to chat? And then a minute later, it's four question marks. And then two minutes later, it's like, you know, you're an asshole. You're not all that. And it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm in bed asleep. You know what I mean? And somebody's totally offended that I have not validated them. And I have no knowledge of this. And it's that way sometimes like uh, when a friend will say to me like, oh, so-and-so doesn't respond to me. And I'm like, it's not you. It's not you. They've got some shit going on that you don't know about. And if you heard their explanation, it would be totally reasonable. But you're going to internalize this shit. Like I've been put down. (laughs) I've been insulted. And they're in bed asleep and they don't even fucking know. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Came up. They missed your message. It happens. It's, you know, and it's almost like I want to say, like, do you really think the world just totally revolves around you? Like, like, like everybody needs to drop everything and respond to you. How, how arrogant, you know? So now, and, and, and since that's become a mantra, I'm much happier because it's funny. Uh, like say I send message somebody and say, I really love to work with you or something. And I, I hear nothing. And I think, you know, it's not a referendum on how hot I am or whether, and like a year later, I'll get a message back saying, Oh my God, I didn't realize I got a message from you. Like, like, thank God you didn't spend a year thinking you had been blown off. Like you weren't good enough, but so many people do that shit. Like, Oh my God. I seriously need to like edit out this, like, three-minute clip and post this shit to Twitter. People take (laughs) it so personally now. I mean, I'm guilty of both sides of it. Like, I'll read a text and then, you know, I'll get a phone call or something will happen. I'll just totally forget to respond to it or you know, and there's plenty of times where I'll message someone and they don't respond and because shit happens in life. Shit happens, you know. I, you know, uh, but I, so my new, my, I tell people all the time, it's not you. It's not you. It's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I would say one of the, one of the things that I'm most grateful for doing this for a living and people recognizing me or wanting to talk to me or approaching me is it's a gift. Anytime I get a chance to validate someone. Anytime I get a chance to, you know, it's funny. When I first moved here, uh, how many people said to me, oh, my God, you're really nice. Like, and I say, well, what the fuck did you expect? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, oh, big porn actor, like, you're not going to have the time of day for me. Like, well, that would be an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would you expect any? That, that should never be your, like, or when people come up to me and say, uh, like I'm working out or something and they interrupt me and they say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, if you don't mind. And I, and, and I stop them and I say, if you're about to pay me a compliment, do not start it with an apology because I'm all about that shit. You know, you want to say something nice to me? Don't fucking apologize for it. Just say it. You know, don't start it with, Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Like I'm not worthy. Like, you know, we should all be so lucky that anybody has anything nice to say to us, right? Yeah. So I feel like if you can take a moment, somebody wants to come up and say hello, whatever, they recognize you, and, and to look them in the eye and listen to them and be grateful, 
uh, and thankful because their compliment is worth something. It means a lot. Uh, clearly it means a lot to them, but what the fuck, what kind, what kind of person am I that I, what, I'm full on compliments. I've had enough compliments for my life. No more compliments, please. You know, like what a gift. And, and you know what, if, if, if all I'm known for is this porn daddy, okay, if that's somebody's thing and I can take a moment to let them feel heard, I feel like that's a great gift. I feel like that's a blessing for me. Like it makes me feel good. When somebody says, wow, you're really nice. And I'm saying, you know, I'm glad you think so. You know, because I can't imagine the alternative. <laughs> like, it just wouldn't feel right for me to just walk by you like I didn't see you or hear you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you really shouldn't be following those people, <laughs> you know. But I'm surprised how often I get that. But like I said, we're just country folk. You know, we're friends. You know, we'll talk to anybody. You know, at the gas pump, uh, you know, anywhere in line in the grocery store, I'll I'll chat up at anybody. Uh, yeah. When you were going, when you're telling the hospital story with you and Liam, I just like my mind was going because like I know both of you well off camera, and it's like Liam, he's so like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but very docile and passive. But I could very easily see Liam having a mama bear side you know, kick uh, in where he's like, nope. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's still waters with that one. Uh, you know, he was the youngest lieutenant in Georgia state prison history. He ran the prison. The, the COs reported to him. He is Mr. By the book. And he would, you know, because of that position, you know, uh, inmates can be very, uh, manipulative yeah. uh, because they have nothing else to do really. So he has been very well trained on deception and, and always, and I should smarten up and listen to him because he always smells a rat. When he smells a rat, they're a rat, you know, and he seems very quiet and he seems, but that training, you know, in a pre and so the Georgia State Prison is the worst of the worst in the state of Georgia. It's the toughest of the tough. And they were not allowed to carry any weapons at all. Oh, wow. the, only, the only tools he had were handcuffs and his brain. And that boy can take you down with one hand. I mean, we were so we, uh, we went out one night. And, you know, in North Carolina, I mean, we were in the country. There were only 3,000 people in town. So this was a country. This was Appalachia. These were hillbillies. And we went out to the local bar one night. And I, there was a girl that I worked with there. And this fucking, and I was talking to her. And this drunk guy just kept coming over and trying to talk to her. And he's slurring. And he's, and, and he's like nine feet tall. He's like a fucking inbred monster. And... And Lexi obviously didn't want to talk to him. And I'm talking. And finally, like, he comes up and I said, listen, you know what? She and I are having a conversation, uh, if you don't mind. And uh, he stumbles off. And then another guy I worked with was having an, uh, a party after the bar closed. So we went over there. And as, as Liam and I are walking down the steps, uh, this mongoloid is sitting on the picnic table right at the bottom of the steps. So, so now he's got a beef with me. And as we get to the bottom of the steps, uh, he like stands up and gets in my face. And I just didn't even have a chance 
to utter a word. Liam stood right in front of me, got right up in his face, and backed this big dumb motherfucker right back down onto the onto the picnic table. Like just got right up on him. And he and I don't even remember what he said, but I remember the dude saying to him, He's bigger than you. If I'm not gonna listen to him, why am I gonna listen to you? And Liam said, he was like something, because I'm a bigger badass. And he just got right up in the fucking guy's face and literally sat him, like, just without touching him, sat him back down. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, ooh, <laughs> like swept me off my feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I was ready. I was like, you know, because every time I went out to this bar, it's like every dumb, drunk country asshole wants to fight the biggest guy in the bar. Wow. You know what I mean? And really, the, truly, the only thing that would save me was the being gay. Because it's like, I know you think you can beat a faggot up, but I'm a pretty big dude and I'm going to get a couple good swings in. And your buddies are never going to let you live it down that you've got a busted nose from some fag. So you can take your chances if you want. <laughs> you may hurt me worse, but you'll still never hear the end of it. Oh, and that was usually enough. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but you're absolutely... I'll, and believe me, I'm I'm going for the bloodiest part of you. I'm going to bust your fucking nose right back into your head. I'm going to make you bleed like a stuck pig. You know, that's what I'm going for. You know, I'm going, I want to be seen all over your face. You know, I'm not going for the gut punches, you know, but I got to tell you, you know, when, when, uh, I don't know where it came from, but I'll tell you the, the old Lieutenant, I started calling him Lieutenant for a while. I know it's hot. You know, yeah, but he uh, he's quiet. But I gotta tell you, man, don't, you don't cross I'm that way. Mm -hmm. totally yeah. yeah, he keeps me in check. So <laughs> and he, go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I was just gonna ask, like, I ask everyone, but how has porn, and especially with Liam, how has porn affected your sex life off camera? Like for the better, for the worse, indifferent, and how has uh, it impacted your sex life off camera? You know, considering you shoot with your husband. It's well, you know, I would say people that are in a relationship uh, have extra considerations when doing this. Uh, every now and then, we have to kind of hit pause and reconvene, you know, and and say like. Where are we? You know, every now and then we need to take a break, you know, and have us time, yeah. you know, and the fucked up part is, uh, so this happened not too long ago that we decided, God, we've been working so much. You know what? I, I just don't want any other influences in my sex life right now. I, you know, we just needs to be us for a minute. So, so we decided we're going to be monogamous for, for a while. Well, Nothing turns motherfuckers on more than you being monogamous. It's like when a man has a wedding ring on, all of a sudden he becomes very attractive. And the second we told people we weren't fucking around and we were being monogamous, the fucking offers, like fucking um, hottest men you've ever seen, couldn't fucking lay off us, <laughs> could not leave us alone. But so, but you really do have to, you know, uh, there's so many things that, you know, you want to, you want to have guardrails and you want to have guidelines and you're both on the same page. 
but when you do this for a living, there's so much shit that you don't predict, you know, that you don't see coming until it happens. And then you have to reconvene and say, okay, here's a new one. You know, what the fuck about this? And come to, you know, conclusion. So it's, it's always evolving uh, because people throw you a curveball that you just don't expect. And taking a little time off helps. But we have had such a transformation in our relationship. You, you know, when we first met, before we were doing porn, I would probably say I could have been classified as being fairly possessive and jealous. And clearly that has had to change, you know? And over time, uh, it has evolved into really my fetish now. I, I like watching my husband get railed and he loves it. And I think, I think it's because it kind of hits on something that we already discussed. This, this fantasy, this desire for him to be a bad boy, for him to, because, you know, he grew up in the South. He grew up, he grew up in Georgia and a lot of sex shame, a lot of, uh, you know, that's dirty, you know, you know how Christians think, you know, sex is so filthy and dirty and it's a sin. You should only have it with your wife. How that makes sense. I don't know, but you know, letting himself go, it was never his strong suit, but I always sensed that there was a dirty little motherfucker in there somewhere deep down in there, you know, and I would get, uh, glimpses of it every now and then. And I would try to explain to him, like, I see it and I know it's there and I like it. So stop hiding it from me. Would you just let it out? And it's taken a lot of time, but, uh, we, you know, he's, especially since we moved to California, he's kind of letting this out. Uh, and he's got a lot of time to make up for, you know, it's like, just let yourself go. There's nothing dirty or wrong about you enjoying sex, you know, and I'm not offended if, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that really turned you on is a little strange every now and then. And, you know, the only thing our relationship suffers from is familiarity. You know, I've, I've tried all my tricks on him. I've, I've pulled every trick out of the hat. You know, there's nothing left for me to try. We are deeply committed. And, and that's always a trade in a relationship, especially a long-term relationship. You, you lose the excitement of something new and different and replace it with a, a comfort. Uh, you know, I'm like a warm sweater. Uh, uh, you know, I've be always been there. He knows he can count on me. He can, you know, when he's hurt or scared or whatever, he can wrap himself up in me and, and that feels real good. But I can't be exciting you know, like picking up some hot daddy and bringing him home and getting the shit fucked out of him. I mean, I still try, but you know, uh, he's had it a million times. And, and if, and if his fetish is daddy every now and then I like to be manhandled by somebody else, uh, we're, we're kind of exploring lately. And it's only been about this year, uh, that 
there is something submissive in him that he wants to be obedient that he wants he and and i learned uh because there was a few times in our relationship where, where i just i would say our sex life really suffered because i was like you never come on to me you know you're never trying to turn me on it's always me chasing after you and sometimes i want to feel desirable you know i want to feel wanted but i finally realized that that's not going to be him he will sit there and wait for me to tell him what to do and what what i found what i found out was all i have to do is say go get ready or i'm going to be done editing in 10 minutes meet me in the bedroom and he's like okay yep okay. and i was like well jesus christ what, how did you miss this maybe you just have an obedient boy on your hands and he, he wants he he likes a man to tell him what he wants like what the man wants he wants to take care of his needs. He wants to service him. He wants, you know, I used to be an adamant about like, oh, no, honey, you know, uh, you, you know, it's porn. Everybody's got to be hard in porn. And I was just like, you know, a lot of bottoms get fucked. They don't get hard while they're yeah. getting fucked. And I said, you know, that's totally natural. Why am I insisting on this? Yeah. I said, you know what? Your dick is just an ornament to me anyway. Uh, like, I'm perfectly okay pretending you don't have one. You know, if, you're, if your sex organ is your ass okay, you know, that's real. Uh, there's no reason why we need to hide that fact. <clears throat> and even though a lot of people like watching him fuck when he tops, uh, he likes to, you know, he likes to, he likes to take care of men. Yeah. And I totally, totally get off on that. Uh, you know, especially because it's me, you know, we start each day with me. And then he can have whatever he wants. And I kind of get turned on by the idea of when he's good to me, he deserves to have what turns him on. He deserves it. And I've become a total cock. <laughs> you know, I, I get off on lining guys up and letting them fuck him. And now, like, my favorite, favorite way to fuck him is when he's got a load in him. You know, yeah. like well, I mean, planting, mine on, planting mine on top of his. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Come is the best loop, period. I, right. I can't explain it. I couldn't tell you why. It just is. Yep. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons why I like you fucking him so much is I like it when his ass is just stretched a little bigger than my dick and my dick's kind of like like a bell just slapping around in there and it's all full of cum and it's wet and sloppy and somebody's really stretched him open. So, I mean, you know, uh, he... he it took years to get him to admit he likes big dick. <laughs> he likes big dicks. They just feel better. And, uh, you know, oh, my God, it's like, well, talk about an ego, like a slap to the ego. It just in passing, you know, it, not not trying to criticize me. He just, And it was stupid because, you know, don't ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to. And, I mean, I've never been known. I, I mean, I have a, I have a, a fairly reasonably yeah. sized, you know what I mean? Uh, certainly I've never had a, I've never had a, any feelings of inadequacy with it. Right. Usually when I was growing up, somebody would put their hand in their pants and they'd be like, Oh, <laughs> you know? So I always was rather confident of my dick. Uh, and I think I said something stupid, like, is mine the smallest dick of any man you've ever dated? And he said, yes. <laughs> I was like, what? I said, is it really? And, and then I was like, does that mean like, 
like if you went on a date with a guy and he had a small dick, you just never went on a second date with him, did you? And he was like, nope. <laughs> so I'm the smallest he's ever had. So yeah, that took me a while oh. to get over. I, I internalized that for a while. <laughs> this is literally the topic of my last YouTube video. So I was oh, like, either they're, they're going to lie to you or they're going to tell you the truth and then you're really going to regret asking. Yeah, so that took me a few years to get over it. And now I'm totally in support of it. If you like big dick, you know, that's okay. Yeah. You know, if that's your thing. And I like slop, fucking sloppy holes. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. No, yeah. it was uh, like something you may find this fascinating. I was watching this talk the other day, like when you were talking about like losing the spark, if you will. Mm -hmm. I had never thought about it like this, but the reason why people feel like that spark's gone or it's not new or exciting is because the only thing that disappears is the stress. So like, you know, when you meet a new guy, it's like, you know, I'm going to ask for his number. So like excitement, stress. I texted him. He hasn't texted me back yet. Excitement, stress. Then you get a text and you think, oh my God, I hope it's him. Exactly. <laughs> but then eventually, like the relationship gets to a point where, like Liam with you, then all of a sudden you're not a source of stress. You're a source of peace and comfort and stability. Right. So it's not that the spark's gone, it's just the stress is gone. That's the yeah. only thing that changed. Right. I right. never thought about it like that. There's, and also, uh, people don't recognize sometimes, I think, that uh, a lot of people assume certain things are just natural to some people. Like, oh, uh, being happy, uh, being happy in a relationship. These are real skills that you have to constantly work on, oh, you know? Yeah. Uh, practicing, you know, good practices, how to have a fair fight, uh, not hitting below the belt, not bringing up old stuff, staying in the moment without what is the issue right now, shit like that. Like if I had more money, I'd be happy. If I was better looking, I'd be happy. If I was the, that's not true. That's not what happens with happy people. It's not just like manna that raises it done. Happy people make a choice to be happy. They choose it every day. They choose it. They choose not to let things get them down. And it's a skill that requires, you know, like any other skill, you have to practice it. And it's the same in a relationship. You know, you can be happy in a relationship, but you have to make it happy. And when he and I first got together, I would always say to him, uh, you know, every word that comes out of your mouth uh, can uh, achieve one of two things. It can either bring us closer together or it can push us further apart. So ask yourself what your motivation is, you know, and there are even times now where he'll say something dumb and I'll say, now, honey, do you think that saying that is going to bring us closer together? You know, do you think that that's going to bring us together? Is that what, you, you know, are you trying to push us apart? And he'll think about it and say, no, I'm not. And, you know, and this is what I should have said, you know, and we'll get right past it. But he also told me uh, 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 something that I try to adhere to and i think is rather brilliant uh the three things that you should always think of before you say something uh whatever comes out of your mouth you should ask yourself is it true is it kind or is it necessary and if you cannot answer yes to those three things shut your fucking mouth 
-hmm. you know, especially in a relationship. If you don't have anything kind to say, you know, whatever your problem is, whatever your hurt feelings are, whatever you're not getting, there's a kind way to say it, you know, and you should always practice that. And, you know, uh, making that decision that this is the kind of partner I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm not going to let these things fester. Uh, I hope, you know, I hope stuff like that translates in our films. Uh, I do get a comment all the time about somebody may say, like, I really love your films because I can tell how much you love him. You know, and at the end of the day, I think, you know, yeah, porn is about sex, but it's not because nothing ever is with gay men. There's always some undercurrent of something else, you know, guys that go out and get fucked all the time. Uh, you feel like, uh, and I've known people like this that are just like the town whores, like can't get enough dick, but none of them ever satisfy them. And the reason they're going back for more and more and more is because they're just not satisfied. They're not. And, and it makes me say, you're not looking for sex. If you're having a lot of sex and you're not satisfied, then you're looking for something else. Right. Uh, like <clears throat> you've got this hole in you and you're trying to get it filled mm -hmm. and gay men, their default setting is I'll have sex. Yeah. You know, the truth is I want to be held. The truth is I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be recognized. I want to be cared for. I just want someone to hug me. And the only way they know to get that achieved is to put out, you know, instead of saying, that's not what I'm looking for, you know, and I just want some cuddle time. Uh, I just want, I just want to hold someone. And I think we've just so conditioned, you know, we're, the gay world is so hypersexual that a lot of people think that that's the way to, to get those needs met. Yeah. And I hope, I hope our porn is different than that. You know, it's funny that I see our porn as kind of being wholesome and family friendly. You know, there was, they, uh, some friends of mine here that uh, run the leather group uh, wanted me to MC a pool party. And, um, and I was not opposed to the idea, but I said, what kind of, you know, in Palm, when you go to a pool party in Palm Springs, you have to be pretty clear on what kind of pool party it is. Like, are people going to be in bathing suits or not? Is there going to be sex or not? You know, uh, these, you'd be surprised. Uh, so I asked them, I was like, what kind of pool party is this? Right. You know, and they're like, oh, well, there'll be slings around and people will be fucking. And I said, that's not my brand, you know? Uh, we're, we're family porn, you know, we're, we're, we're loving porn. Uh, we don't film stuff like just public sex and stuff like that. I don't feel like that's our aesthetic. You know, that's not the message we're trying to convey. We're trying to show people that care about each other and, yeah. and have relationships and are committed to each other and care for each other. And so I, I don't want to be seen emceeing you know, standing there on a microphone with guys getting fisted around me. I just, it's just not me. You know, I'm far more, I'm far more uptight than I would have, people would assume because I make porn. Yeah, but. no. And like, it's just, and it's not just on camera. Cause like for me personally, I mean, my look, my appearance didn't help it, but like with studio porn, I started kind of getting typecast and it's like, mm -hmm. Uh, you're, the guy, 
There's a guy breaking in a window and then fucking someone exactly. in the Yes. And like yes. it was a like two, three years ago that I was like, I'm done with studio porn. And there's literally a reason why the only studio that I'll shoot for is yours. And it's just because like it's it's real authentic. It's laid back. It's just very like you just feel totally comfortable. It's not like just this cold detached, oh here, let me get in here and you know, pretend it's 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 authentic. I think part of that is because we don't shoot in a studio. We shoot in our home. Yeah. And we try to treat people like they're guests in our home, you know? And for guys like you uh, that we've developed a relationship with, we do see this as our family. And uh, we, uh, you know, it would be different, I suppose, if we were shooting in some studio. Uh, but because we're accepting people into our home, we really have to vet them uh, more carefully. Uh, because, yes, it's a job, but <laughs> this is my house, you know? So try to be a good house guest if you don't mind, you know? Yeah, no, uh, I get that. Um, yeah. I wanted to... Let's see. Um, I was looking at questions. Oh, here's a question for you. Uh, people submitted more questions for this interview than anyone I've ever done. Oh, um, really? Somebody asked, what is your number one piece of advice for happy marriage? Well, I suppose we've covered that. I yeah. mean, really, just don't, don't ever assume a happy anything happens. You make these things happen. You participate. You point yourself towards it as a goal. And every day you take a step forward towards that goal. Like anything, like any skill. Uh, nothing just happens. Nothing good in this life just happens. You know, you make shit happen. You, you commit yourself and say, I want a good marriage. I mean, that's step one. Tell yourself, I want a good marriage. And I am perfectly capable of achieving that. I am perfectly capable of every word that comes out of my mouth, my deeds, my actions. I'm always where I say I'm going to be. I'm trustworthy. You know, nobody's wondering what the fuck I'm up to. Yeah. You know, you know, I, you know, I used to have my favorite quote that I, I that made up myself uh, that I always put on like profiles when I used to have profiles. Uh, I always said, stop looking for Mr. Right and start being Mr. Right. You know, this idea that, you know, you would see somebody say something like, oh, well, I'm looking for a boyfriend, but, you know, I'm going to fuck around until he shows up. It's like, well, if you're looking for Mr. Right, what makes you think that when Mr. Right comes strolling by, he wants the town bicycle? You know what I mean? That everybody's had a ride on. You know, if you want to attract Mr. Right, you need to be Mr. Right. You know what I mean? Or he's not going to give you the time of day. Yeah. So... No, yeah. I, I would agree. And, with that. And the truth is, your Mr. Right might be a guy that joins you in fucking half the town. You know, he, you can fuck half and he can fuck the other half. There's plenty of people that do that. There's plenty of people. Whatever you want in a relationship, he's out there. Your Mr. Right can be anything. But, you know, be a decent fucking person that he recognizes when he comes strolling by, you know? No, I that I agree with a thousand percent. I, I think... A lot of people just search for, they think the other person's going to make them complete without actually being complete themselves first. It's right. just, yeah. Here's yeah. The, you know, it all starts. I, I have been, 
I have been monogamous in relationships. I have had polyamorous relationships. And you're right. It, your relationship with yourself is a foundation for anything, whether it's a friendship or a marriage, you know, get right with yourself. Uh, and the skill it takes to have two partners is the same skill it takes to have one or four or whatever, but it really starts individually. So here's this. Actually, I'm curious about this one. Like, I mean, I personally, I think it's semantics because I identify as sexual, but someone said, are you bisexual? Like, how would you? Because no. I don't know. Okay. No. And I, know, I, I, I prob- and I probably know where that question comes from because I've worked with trans guys. Yes, that's uh, what I'm guessing. But no, I don't. So it's I'm just not into- masculine. I'm not into women. I like guys. Okay. And I'm not hung up on, I, you know, working with some of these trans men has made me a better man. Uh, I don't identify myself as a man because I have a dick. What makes me a man is a lot more than that. It's a lot different than that. And, you know, trans people have kind of brought this question up that as a society, we, we're we just trained right from the start. This is what makes you a man and this is what makes you a woman. And it's nothing to do with what's between your legs. You know, we have to learn to separate ourselves, the people we are from our genitals. And it took a trans man for me to open my mind to that. Like I am more than my dick. And if we're going to suggest that what makes a man is his dick, that tells me that what guys with 12 inch cocks are more men than guys with six inch cocks. Are you more of a man because you got a bigger dick? And what, and what if your dick ever got cut off? What if you had cancer or whatever and you lost your dick? You're not a man anymore. Our man, we decide what we are as men. We make ourselves the men we are. And it's got nothing to do with our dick. And just because a guy doesn't have a dick, the trans men that I've worked with read men to me. You know, and I can't, I can't say that I've never been with a, with a, a cis guy that I didn't think, boy, you know, what would be really nice right now if you had a pussy, <laughs> you know, cause that would be nice. And I got to tell you guys, if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it because this thing has evolved over our existence for one purpose and it's to make a dick feel really good. <laughs> and it does that. And if it's attached to a dude, even fucking better, you know? But I know it's just people just cannot seem to get past this idea. We're so genital focused in this country. Like people just can't imagine. And, you know, uh, I, for a long, long time, thought there was something wrong with me because my dick doesn't, uh, you know, I am 100% demisexual. If I don't feel an emotional connection, I don't have a physical connection. I need to feel people. Uh, And if I can't have that, I'm not interested. So I, as a gay, as a porn actor, I would think most people would be surprised to know I've never been to a sex party. I have never picked anybody up on Scruff or Grindr or Growler or any of the dating apps uh, because I cannot form the kind of connection I need to be satisfied that way. And, uh, so I work with this trans dude, Trip, and we really got 
to know each other. And I started, you know, it never dawned on me to ask, where am I getting my sexual pleasure from? Because we're so trained and so ingrained that our sexual pleasure comes from our dick. That's our sex organ, right? And I used to think there was something wrong with me because like I couldn't go to a sex party because my dick was like, fuck you. And, you know, because what am I going to do? Like do the 10 minute dating at the sex party and try to get to know these guys? That's not what they're into, you know? And so like, I felt like, God, all these guys I know, their fucking dick gets hard at the blow of the wind. And uh, what's wrong with me? And, but having experience with a trans guy and separating myself from my genitals, it was the first time I gave myself permission to ask, where is your sexual pleasure coming from? You know, uh, maybe it's not your dick and it's not, it's my nipples. If people don't play with my nipples, if people don't work my nipples, my dick's not interested, you know, my sex organs are my nipples. And it's funny, there's even Liam after this experience, just, we were sitting out in the hot tub one day and he just announced, he said, you know, I think my asshole is my sex organ. And I was so happy to hear that. I thought, look, look at you, you know, how great is that? But it's this this problem we have with trans people. A lot of it comes from us just never allowing ourselves to ask ourselves, "What are our, where is our sexual pleasure coming from?" You know, it's just a given. It's your dick, yeah. but I don't think it is, I, and I don't, and I certainly don't think I'm the man I am because of the dick I have. Yeah. Uh, and just because, just because some of the guys I fuck have different genitals doesn't make them any less guy in, in my head. You know, I, I, I'm feeling what I'm feeling, you know, I, they read as guys. So, you know, I just worked with one guy. <laughs> I really, and, and he was, he's, he's a little boy. He really is. He, he grew up in Idaho and his dad took him hunting and fishing and he shoots guns and, you know, and I'm like, what a little dude. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Are you talking about Levi? No, no, uh, skip. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a little dude. Yeah, no. And, and for anyone watching, uh, we'll go over Will's Twitter at the end, but I highly recommend watching the, the video that Will has pinned onto his Twitter. I'm assuming you haven't changed it. Mm -mm, I don't think so. But yeah, the, what you said about trans men. Yes, I will say, don't knock it until you've tried it. Like, because yeah. yeah, for me, it was a little more difficult just because the way my, uh, there's some childhood PTSD that like affects my subconscious. So I've used masculine and feminine differently. Mm-hmm. But like the first time was like, uh, like physically it felt good, but there was some emotional component that I had to work out. But right. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll tell you the the first time I filmed with a trans guy was Trip Richards, and he was uh, driving down to North Carolina to spend a couple days, and I literally had a panic before it because I I realized, like, you know, the last time I went down on a girlfriend, I was definitely not a fan. (laughs) I was like, and I thought, oh my god, what am I going to do? What if I can't do this? How do I have that conversation? How do I say? I'm really sorry, but I just can't do this. And I panicked, and I, but I was pleasantly surprised. I have to tell you. I mean, it didn't smell like balls, but it didn't smell like I remember it smelled either. <laughs> it was a pleasant masculine aroma. 
Yeah. You know, no, for sure. and it really was. It really was. They're chuck full of testosterone, just like any dude, you know, and that shit just seeps out of everywhere. You know? No, it really does. And, and I will say like the, the trans men that I've been with too, they were both like, actually all three of them were very accepting and understanding that I was experiencing like different types of emotions. And right. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things, but yeah. Yeah, but but to answer the question, I'm I am 100% gay, and in my mind, I have never penetrated a woman. I've never had sex with a woman. I am 100% gay, and yeah, I mean, I had girlfriends, but I we've already covered that. That my dick just sometimes is like, no thanks. So my fingers are good. We're in agreement <laughs> on the sex party thing. I've been to sex parties, and I'm just like. Like right. we're talking like tiny dick day where he's kind of like shrivels up and goes back into its shell. Yeah, right. Yeah, turtle. <laughs> um, let's see. I like this one, and you've if I guess you've already answered it, but if there's anything you want to add to it, how do you always know the right things to say to a boy? Each video he's in, he's able to make the boy feel completely safe with his dad. Hmm. You know. Um... It's funny. I, 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 I knew this guy that I got really close to and he made the comment, I guess a, when he told a friend of his that he was coming to visit me, uh, his friend said to him, you know, he's got a reputation for reading boys' minds. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I don't. I don't read anybody's mind. I just listen to them. Uh, and the truth is, you know, I do identify as a, a daddy figure. Uh, I feel very protective and parental. And being known for that for so long, you can start seeing commonalities throughout the experiences that you have. And if you listen to people and pay attention to people, you know, shocker. A lot of boys have the fantasy of daddy, bring your poker buddies by and I'll suck all their dicks. You know what I mean? Like I haven't heard that a thousand times. So, you know, a lot of, one of the questions I always love asking people is I want to know where this daddy fixation comes from because it's, I, I have had two experiences. It's either something traumatic, right? Where a person just, felt cheated out of this relationship. You know, one of the most fundamental primal relationships in a young man's life is the bond he has with his father. And that should be. And a lot of gay people don't have that. And it leaves an emptiness in them. It leaves a hole in them. And uh, I feel like I, I have a friend uh, that just moved here that I used to date in Florida. Uh, and now he's a daddy. He's decided he's a daddy. He's got a couple boys. And, and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, you can kind of take one or two paths. You can either say, I've got this hole in me. So I'm looking for a man to help fulfill that. Or you can say, I did not have this influence or this relationship in my life. So I can provide that to somebody else. I can be that person. You know, I don't have to wait for somebody to deliver it to me. I can gift that to other people. And I feel like that's what I do. Uh, 
And I'm always asking them, when did this start? Where does this come from? You know, I want to, first of all, I want to know if it's something traumatic, if this is trauma-based, I need to know that before we go down this path, because I certainly don't want to step in any minefields or make any of this worse, you know? Uh, you know, uh, it could be somebody's father was abusive, neglectful, not there, abandoned them, all that. So that, that I want to know. And then I, or I get another response and it's always a joy to get this response. I, I filmed with this young guy and he had been messaging me since I think he was a, a senior in high school, which of course I would not, you know, I don't know, he might've been 18, but uh, yeah. it wasn't until he got in college that I would actually talk to him, but he was trying to get my attention from the time he was in high school. And when we finally, after he graduated from high school, so this was year, almost 10 years that we had known each other. And we finally worked together. And I said, I wanted to know where his daddy fixation came from. And he said, he said, my dad was my best friend. And I just want to find a boyfriend like that. And I was like, wow, that is like the healthiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it seems to fall in one or two categories. You know, it's either a traumatic thing that they felt left out or that, or it was a really positive thing that they want to recreate. And, uh, but there's no mind reading going on. I'm just a listener. I'm an observer. You know, I, I, uh, I pay attention. And I know sometimes that can come across like, God, he's, he's in your head, but I'm, I'm not parroting anything back that they, they're not telling me, that no. they're not giving me, you know? And the stuff, maybe the stuff I do like on a solo video or something, it, it just may be me regurgitating something I've heard over and over and over again and just kind of like I'm the psychic that's like, uh, I see a woman with an M name, you know, like, is there a man with a J name in your life? You know, <laughs> so yeah, I'm a, just a fraud. <laughs> That's not true. I do. I like, I like, I definitely like knowing what makes boys tick. I do. So last question, and I'm sure you can guess there were a million people who asked about this, even on my OnlyFans, the nipples. How oh, did those. that start? Cause I'm, that's like one of your like, you know, trademarks. That, I guess. Oh, that was, yeah, yes. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, best nipples. Oh shit! <laughs> best nipple award, twenty twenty one. Best nipples. Uh, that was uh, thirty years of obsessive compulsiveness of not being able to leave them alone. You know, I'm like a teenage kid playing with his cock. I just told you, my dick is not my sex where my nipples are. So I can't keep my hands off them. And I have to tell you, like when I'm out in public and I have my shirt off, it's like exposing my dick. It's like that sexual to me, like having them out. I have three cocks and these are my little ones. Uh, but when I have them out in public, I feel naked. I feel like, you know, exposed. Uh, when I was young, uh, I'm, I, I'm the youngest of five and I had three older brothers. So I stumbled across a lot of porn magazines as a child and 
luckily for me, one of my brothers liked Hustler, uh, which has dudes in it sometimes, you know? So uh, there was a story in one of these magazines about a girl that got her nipples pierced. And she was so turned on by it, like when her shirt would rub them or whatever, she'd get all turned on by it, that her husband pierced his. And I don't know what it was about it, but it just fucking turned me on a lot. And I literally had inverted nipples. I had, they were just sort of like flat, like with little folds in the middle that went in. And I went to P-Town uh, one weekend, and I think I was about 18-ish maybe a little older, but I went into a shop that had needles and jewelry and all that stuff. And I was like, well, fuck. So I, I bought these needles and I bought a nipple ring and I went home and I pierced it, which was, Oh God. Okay. I can't even imagine. I've what, had... am I gonna do? what am I a kid? What am I going to do? Go into a shop. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. I still remember the sound I'm of tearing. Hearing that. <laughs> I, <wanna ask> that. <laughs> I just iced it. And I put a cork on one side and I just pushed the needle oh. down. I did all my own. I, I had my, I had a Prince Albert and I had uh, oh. all my piercings I did myself. Um, so what ended up happening was obviously that one started growing a little bit, you know, because there was a ring in it and it start, I, I actually had a nipple, but it got super, super sensitive. Like it had never been. Uh, and it just started this obsession uh, and I just could never keep my hands off them. Uh, so oddly enough, uh, I have this boy that is super into nipples. He, and, and he really is the only person that really works them the way I would work them. And fucked up thing happened. Um, I had been reading this, uh, I have been reading this story about, you know, sometimes when women adopt, when people adopt children, uh, the hormones that it releases and other drugs people can take, the adoptive mother can start lactating and, and feeding the adopted baby. But what they found that was most successful in that endeavor was a deep need to feed like a deep desire to feed this child. So this guy was visiting and, and, and he, you know, he's really into nipple play. And just in conversation, I said something. And in the way, just, I can't, just the way he turned and looked at me, he said, oh no. He said, I need to nurse on them. And it just fucking like got me right in the center of my brain. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> you know, and the fucked up thing was the week after he left, I started lactating and I was like, what the fuck? And I thought this can't be good. This might be cancer or something. Right. So I went to see my doctor here and I was like, I'm in lactating. And he said, oh. he said, don't worry about it. He said, it's not that uncommon. He said, it's uncommon, but he said, it's just the years of manipulation. He said, you've just been playing with them for so long. It's just, you know, it's oh. just how your body acted. But it was, I, I really feel like it was him revealing to me how badly he wanted to nurse on them and my deep desire to feed him that, you know, that caused yeah. this to happen. Because 
I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm 56 years old. I never, I, it never happened. And all of a sudden this kid shows up, wants to nurse on me. And a week later, I'm like, and I'm not like, I'm not like a fountain or anything, but if I, but if I squeeze them, they'll, they'll be a little droplet. Tastes terrible. I think it's raw testosterone, <laughs> but I, they still do. It's kind of like a party trick. <laughs> my doctor, my, do, my doctor, I, he must be a nipple pig because I was like, I was like, would you like to see it? <laughs> I was like, you know, for academic purposes. I mean, when, when was the last time you had a patient that lactated? And he was like, yes, I'd like to see it. <laughs> so, yeah, just another, just another daddy service I provide. <laughs> Wet nurse. <laughs> but it does. It tastes like, it tastes like, it's like if you've ever like taken antibiotics, how metallic your mouth is. It's like, it's like eating metal. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he said, don't worry about it. He was like, you know, you've just been playing with them for so long. He said, it's not, it's not unusual. So they grew so. from just playing with them. Yeah. Well, uh, that and piercing, the piercings made them grow uh, much more. The, yeah, the scar tissue. Uh, so I did all my own piercings, but the, when I, I, I pierced both of them, I went and had somebody do it because I wanted them to, not to be all fucking cockeyed, uh, but that it's the scar tissue that that really increased the size. But I've pumped them and play with them, but it's just I haven't pumped them in a couple of years now. So it's just I, I mean I'm just I'll watch, be sitting there watching TV and I don't even realize I'm doing it. I'm just sitting here rolling around. <laughs> like I know, I don't know, I don't care. It, and you know. People say like, oh, my nipples are connected to my dick or my nipples are connected to my asshole. My nipples are not connected to anything. My nipples are standalone sex organs. They're connected to some pleasure center deep, deep in the back of my brain. That, like, uh, you know, it, it, my, my dick or my ass don't need to know anything about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Honestly. And if I'm pleasuring myself, it's that's usually that's usually the focus. That's usually the, you know. I'm definitely so, jealous of that. Um, I do have a, a question, though, and this is just coming from me. Because, like, my dick is completely straight. You've got, you know, mm -hmm. curve. So, yeah, that, like, do you... Do you have really positive experiences being able to, like, make guys come hands-free or anything? I can't remember the last time I made some. You can hit a guy's prostate a hell of a lot easier than I can. Yeah. And with the, the curve comes because I jerk off underhanded. It's just, really? it's just a whole, yeah, it's a lifetime of, of like doing this. I, I've trained it that way. It's like a hedge. I'm like, I've trained it that way. You know, it's like a bonsai. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because I, I jerk off underhanded and I, it to the side okay, uh, okay i'm gonna have so, to try that mm, it's like a whole new hand it's like somebody different jerking you off uh but because of the curve if because of that if i want to go you know some people enjoy going down some people enjoy the prop you know when you lean up so i can just put them on their side based on where i'm trying to reach and where i'm trying to hit that has been convenient but well, I haven't made anyone come hands free in a while. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a selfish top. I don't really make them come. <laughs> when I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 
it's just not natural for me to be like, would you like to come? <laughs> and I know that's terrible. I probably should make more of an effort, but I figure you got plenty of time while I'm getting off, <laughs> you know, you want to get off, handle it. <laughs> oh. As far as, as far as I'm concerned, a dick on a boy is just an ornament. <laughs> is there no anything else that you wanted to share? Because we've covered a whole plethora of topics. Well, now that I've realized what a selfish asshole I am, I suppose we've covered it all. Well, anyone who's seen your content knows that's not true. You're one of the most like considerate, passionate lovers and also uh. the... the like I said, I'm telling you, one day you should like contact Oprah and tell her you want to teach a master class on Dirty Talk. Oh, saying. right. Yeah. You'd be surprised how often people ask me if I will act as a sex therapist for them, <laughs> for them and their husband. And I'm like, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't think that's a good idea at all. <laughs> but I either get that offer or I get off people say that I should do, uh, what is it like ASMR? Is that that's you know, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Chewing, chewing gum or talk, just reading a pamphlet or something? Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. I guarantee you, I that AMSR is blown up. I guarantee you, if you made one of those videos and just put it up on Muscle Bear Porn, I'm telling you, that would sell like hotcakes. I'll just read bedtime stories. Dude, I'm telling you, it would. <laughs> Put put your boy to bed. <laughs> put your boy to bedtime. Or daddy will. Tell and I guarantee time. you in this video, when it gets posted, there's going to be tons of comments saying, come on, Will, make it. I'll buy it right now. Uh, yeah, I know. I have a lot of, I have a lot of pokers in the fire. <laughs> I don't know if I want to take out another project. But, yeah. But, you know, it's like anybody else. I hate the sound of my own voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And sometimes I'll be editing a film and I'll be like, shut up, daddy. <laughs> Jesus Christ, do you ever shut up? <laughs> you know, like, well, you know how it is when you're editing, you're listening to the same fucking clip like a thousand times trying to get it right. And it's just like, oh my God, God, you shut up. No, hearing your voice on the phone, that's the worst. I like cringe yeah. when I hear my own yeah. voice. Hearing my, my voicemail message. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one, uh, super important. Um, so anyone who <laughs> back to our previous conversation, anyone who has been living under a rock, where can they find like, what's your Twitter, your Instagram, your website, all that stuff, where would someone oh, yeah, go yeah. to find you? Well, our big website is musclebearporn.com. Our newest website uh, is houseofangel.com, which is kind of our California porn fantasy of, it's all, you know, uh, it's my fantasy anyway, of this big porn family of interconnected relationships. Uh, you know, it seems very gay-cestuous, but to speak in those terms kind of define a relationship without explaining it to people, you know, uh, People know what they're getting if they're looking at daddy boy porn, you know, but some people I feel very close to, I feel like brothers and I've always wanted that, those kinds of relationships. So house of angel is the fulfillment of that. It's a chosen family. Uh, we started it during the pandemic. Uh, and it seemed like a time when people felt very lonely and very isolated. 
And we wanted to present this idea of what a gay, a cobbled together gay family could look like. And it's a family that all happens to work in porn, you know, and we are supportive of each other in that endeavor and help each other. Uh, you can get me. Uh, so everything else is Will Angel. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Will Angel XXX. On Instagram, I'm the Will Angel because they've taken down like two dozen of my profiles because apparently they can't tell where my pubic hair ends and my body hair begins because no matter what I post, they're like, you got pubic hair showing. It's like, yeah, because my pubic hair comes up to here. Uh, so the Will Angel is the current Instagram. And there's and, two L's in Angel, right? Yes. A-N-G-E-L-L. -L. And then House of Angel, is that house like house or h-a-u yeah, it's, it's the american version it's not house of angel it's house of angel h-o-u-s-e okay. uh and then what else is there twitter yeah, I'm, I'm will angel on facebook uh just will angel and i think that's all i have instagram yeah that's enough jesus christ it's hard enough to like try to respond you know when i started this i'm like i'm gonna answer every message i get if people take the time to message me and now it's like oh my god there's just not enough hours in the day jesus christ you know and and and, and when every you know third conversation is hi hi how are you good you're hot thanks <laughs> you know what i mean like you know Try to entertain me. <laughs> try to try to be more original than that, and I I will respond, uh, you know. But hi, mm, yeah. sorry, no time for those anymore. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> and you know what? I I'm sure you love showing off your asshole, but <laughs> you could try a face pick. <laughs> I'm much more turned on by faces. You know, I can guess what your asshole looks like. <laughs> you know, it's your face that's a mystery. <laughs> Yeah. And I get a lot of asshole pictures. Oh, <laughs> I, get God, a lot. Yeah. I get a lot of rape me daddy. <laughs> rape me daddy with a picture of an asshole. Uh, I had a dollar for every time I got that. Uh, I love when they say, I'd let you rape me. It's like, then you don't understand the concept of rape. <laughs> if you're going to let me, <laughs> that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> oh my people, God. Are, people are funny. But um, seriously, I... I I cannot thank you enough, Will, for doing this. I, I, I was going to say I had a blast talking to you, but I always have a blast talking to you and hanging out with you. And for those of you watching, um, I will be going out there to shoot more scenes with Will and Liam sometime before the end of summer break. So, yeah, we've just been waiting for you to heal up. You know, you know, you're always welcome. Yeah, I got my little horns chopped off. I yeah, love it. It's a trademark now. Hornless. God, I need to get those removed. I don't know, find a plastic surgeon or something. I don't know. I don't know. I think you should uh, feature them. I think we should, you know, maybe put some makeup on them so it looks like they were horns. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's not give them ideas. Right. But seriously, though, all of you, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Um, if you're interested, uh, I'll post all of Will's social media um, below their website, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Thank you, Will, for coming. I hope you guys have an absolutely amazing week, and I really hope you enjoyed this interview. I love yeah. you all. Love you too, honey.